Greetings, happy warriors, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Thanks for being part of the show, you happy warriors. We happy warriors are people who joyfully confront our challenges and competently overcome them. And so it is a pleasure and a privilege to be one of your number as we continue exploring how the world, yes, really works. Um, There is a character in the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis um, around whom a certain amount of confusion uh, exists. His name is Lamech, and he shows up um, in uh, chapter 4 of Genesis, oh, about verse 20, somewhere there. And um, and this guy, Lamech, there's a lot of mystery about him, which I explain in my Scrolling Through Scripture series, uh, but um, I won't go into the part now where he speaks about revenge, about Cain, and all that confusion. But I will mention that he is... Uh, the only name in Genesis that is repeated for two separate people. Um, in other words, you know, there's only one Adam and there's only one Jacob and there's uh, there's only one uh, um, everybody else. But Lemech shows up twice. He shows up once, as here I'm telling you, in chapter 4 of Genesis, round about verse 20. And he also shows up at the end of chapter 5. Different guy, same name. Over there, he is the father of Noah. And uh, it goes without saying that there is some very interesting ancient Jewish wisdom to explain why this guy is the same name as that guy who was Noah's father. But this guy, we hear, took for himself two wives. And the name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Tzila. And uh, ancient Jewish wisdom mentions that uh, he's the first guy to take two wives. And why two wives? One of them was for erotic pleasure, and the other was for reproduction. That's, and by the way, discussion about the uh, birth control techniques he used in order to make sure that the wife whose purpose was um, sexual sexual pleasure uh, would not in fact get pregnant. All very interesting, right? This is all old, old information. Um, nonetheless, nonetheless, interestingly enough, uh, by verse twenty-three uh, or, or thereabouts. Uh, turns out that both wives had given birth, uh, from which we discover that uh, most women do have a deep-seated desire for children, not when they are 18 necessarily and not when they're 23, but by the late 20s and into the 30s, women do develop a deep biological urge to have a child. Uh, There's a name for it. The women's magazines call it baby hunger. And uh, it's quite a well-known phenomenon, which is why that uh, when the current culture in the United States of America wants to promote sterilization 
of women, uh, they encourage very young women to do it because um, women who are late 20s or into their 30s are very often desperately trying to become pregnant. Uh, they're not about to do themselves a, a mutilation. And so it is, in fact, younger women, they get to do it. And, and interestingly enough, they get doctors to do this. Now, doctors have suddenly started becoming a little bit uh, skittish about it, simply because there have been a number of instances of women having deep and profound regrets a few years later and, uh, and trying to sue doctors. They cover themselves very well, and I think they're pretty sue-proof in these situations. But um, that's what they do. And, uh, and these, there are a number of young women who have, in fact, um, amazingly enough, made themselves permanently sterile. It's pretty amazing. And um, when you hear them speak, they very often come up retroactively with justifications for example, uh, and I'm, I'm just going through some of this right now, Isabel is, um, says, I think it's morally wrong to bring a child into the world. Um, and uh, she, uh, she, she, she had the operation. Um, I'm just looking to see that. Uh, here's Darlene in Denver. And uh, she had her tubes removed surgically. Uh, my generation is very aware of the ways that our parents traumatized us. Really? My mom smoked a lot of weed and did her own thing, and my dad was away a lot for work. Um, she says her parents' marriage improved after they became empty nesters. She set out to get sterilized at the age of 21, and... Um, she uh, just she said she just doesn't want children. She doesn't think she'll ever want children. Um, the um, th there's a whole group, by the way, on the internet. There's a whole group of women who either have become sterilized or are planning it or thinking about it, and they all encourage each other about this. And um, uh, on a number of dating apps there's actually now a place where you can actually say, uh, I don't want to have children. And and so they, they call themselves child-free, and that way they can, and this is, I'm taking this from the website of one of these uh, dating um, communities. Um, this way, uh, you pay slightly more to be able to list yourself as child-free, but that will eliminate future breeders from your feed. <laughs> okay. Uh, they also call themselves thinkers. In other words, when they get married, they get married to somebody who also doesn't want children. And, you know, it goes without saying that uh, somebody who uh, thinks they know what they want at 24 or 25 doesn't necessarily at all know what they want when they hit 45 or 50. Anyway, that goes without saying. But um, they call themselves thinkers. Um, thinkers, right? Two stands for T-H-I-N-K-E-R-S, two high incomes, no kids, early retirement. Uh, Sophia, 19 years old, um, 
is being sterilized right now. And um, she said she had a good relationship with her parents, no problem at all. Um, her parents are religious Christians, and the whole family believes they're kid-friendly, but she isn't. She's, she's left the church behind. Um, she felt it had a toxic culture, but she describes herself as vaguely spiritual, and um, she says she knows she doesn't ever want kids. I'm going to do the surgery thing once, rest for a few days, and never think about it again. I uh, don't think that's going to work out too well. I guarantee you she will think about it again many times. Uh, for heaven's sake, she's 19 years old. She's found a doctor who will sterilize her. Um, so uh, <laughs> uh, this is amazing. Chelsea in Sacramento. Uh, kids gross me out. Um, she says she uh, is going to be having sterilization surgery. Um, she says, what's there to regret, that I'll be too happy or too free? And th this is, um, it's an interesting thing. How widespread it is, I don't know, but I do know that it's being spoken about. And uh, there are articles about it. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a very large trend, but it is out there in, in a way that's, that's really very, very strange. Um, this idea of the tension between sex and reproduction is very real. And it's one that I think we ought to talk about for a little bit, don't you? Because um, the, the, as you can imagine, I mean, all human beings are incredibly aware that there is this tension. On the one hand, how can something that brings the highest sensual pleasure for human beings possibly be good and virtuous and holy? Because I mean, just pleasure, I mean, surely all of our religious and, and moral understanding is that part of becoming a good person is you defer gratification. You're not driven by sensual and physical pleasure. Uh, I'm sure, would, would you not agree with me that one measure of the quality of a human being is the extent to which they are capable of short-term sacrifice for long-term gain, right? And when you think about it, that's really the definition of having children, don't you think? Short-term sacrifice, yeah, and especially when they're very little and there's sleepless nights and, uh, and getting used to so many new things. Yeah, short-term sacrifice for long-term benefits. But right now, we are seeing a trend in the West, and I think this is less so on the continent of Africa, but in Europe and North America, we are discovering uh, a drop in marriages, a drop in fertility, and there are some countries like Korea, for instance, where last year, for the first time, there were more deaths recorded than births. There are actually some states in the United States of America where that is happening. So uh, here we've got a decline in having and raising children, and I should mention that um, 
in the um, uh, in in the book of Genesis, chapter one. <laughs> Seems like it's a Bible centric uh, uh, podcast today, but the reason is because it's important to understand that the Bible is descriptive, not proscriptive. Or should I say maybe prescriptive is a better way of putting it. The Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive, in the sense that um, that the law of, of gravity is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's not as if, uh, you know, Englishmen could float around the countryside in uh, untethered helium balloons um, in the 1600s because Newton hadn't yet uh, declared the law of gravitation. But then, all of a sudden, Isaac Newton stated the law of gravitation, and now all Englishmen had to stay rooted to the ground with their feet firmly on the earth. Uh, No. No, his law didn't prescribe. It didn't set the law. It described the law. People were always stuck to the earth. Newton explained the nature of that force that we call gravity. And that is how it is as well. When uh, the um, when the Bible speaks about a linkage between money and marriage, that is real. When the Bible speaks about a man initiating marriage, that's not a law. You don't get God angry if, if you have a a woman initiating a marriage, you know, good luck to her. No, it's describing the reality that even after 60 years of aggressive feminist egalitarianism, when you would have thought that by now, 50% of the marriages you hear about, 50% of the marriages that are going to take place this coming spring, um, are marriages that were set in motion because the woman got down on one knee and proposed to the guy, and 50% of them are going to come about because the guy got down on one knee and proposed to the woman. That's, But it isn't like that. When the Bible says that a man initiates the, the marriage, it's not prescribing a law. It's describing a reality. And so it is with, with everything that we're discussing now. The story of uh, Lemech and his two wives, one for erotic pleasure and one for pregnancy, one for reproduction, and he didn't want her figure, the one who was for pleasure, he didn't want her figure to be impacted by pregnancy, so he kept her sterile. Uh, And in the end, her desire for a baby overrode all of that, and she did, in fact, decide to, and, and made sure she did have a baby. Uh, but um, going back to uh, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, uh, God has created human beings, and God blessed them, saying, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the land. Be fruitful and multiply. Let me tell you a general rule in understanding the Bible, and that is, Poetic formulations are probably wrong translations because the Bible is not supposed to be poetry. It is a guide to how the world really works. That's what it is. And so uh, uh, when it says, be fruitful and multiply, 
Can you tell me what does the word multiply add to the word fruitful and what does the word fruitful add to the word multiply? They both mean have kids. And so um, what's really going on? The correct translation of the Hebrew be fruitful and multiply, the Hebrew is pru uravu, and what that really means is have children, be fruitful, and raise them properly. This is very important because in order for society to function, you've got to have growing population. It's just a reality. For society to thrive, I should say, you've got to have a growing population. But it's got to be a population of people that are part of a common system. They have to have shared values. Otherwise, it's a destructive situation. And so since we are now watching in the United States of America and figures are um, not that different elsewhere in the West, um, the, uh, the number of children born in 2023 who will not know their fathers is over 40%. I'm not sure exactly how much over 40%, but it is over 40%. There's, there's some confusion about how much more. But that means four out of 10 children are going to be born this year who will never know their fathers. Now, is there any way that those children can grow up to be participating, law-abiding, productive citizens? Yeah, it's possible. What do you think the chances are? And I'll leave you to think that through. But important to understand. And so uh, when European countries like France, Germany, and Sweden, and Italy recognized that their populations are stagnant, and they had a real problem because they've got a, all those countries have extremely uh, lavish welfare programs, so-called uh, social nets, um, there's, there's, there's got to be a growing population of younger people, otherwise it can't be sustained, right? You know, you can see what the problem is. What happens is it doesn't take long before people uh, needing social welfare exceed the number of people providing it to such an extent that the system implodes, it can't work. And so many European countries try to solve the problem by bringing in young males from Middle East and North Africa, and they've discovered to their deep dismay that it isn't working. Uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary, uh, and Viktor Orban, in my view, is uh, a, an excellent leader for his country, I know he's very unpopular with the left, both in Europe and in, um, in America. And uh, to his credit, he could not care less. And uh, he said, look, um, we don't think bringing in migrants is the solution. We want more Hungarians, not just more people. And he could not be more correct. And so what he has set about to do is um, to um, encourage Hungarian families 
to be formed and to have children. He's encouraging marriages uh, with financial incentive. He's encouraging uh, the birth of children because he realizes that this is absolutely essential. And this is hilarious because so many people on the left for, for 50, 60 years already have been absolutely obsessed with the idea that there are too many human beings. And now they're being dragged kicking and screaming to the factual reality, which is that most Western countries have a very serious problem of vanishing human beings. But uh, it's not just um, places like Hungary. Uh, Korea has been trying. Um, And now, if you please, Texas has a bill that's under consideration that would give huge tax breaks to big families, provided mother and father are married, provided the children are born after they are married, and um, uh, if a family has uh, four or more children, they pay a very diminished property tax. They pay uh, 60% instead of 100% property tax. If they have five kids, they get a 50% reduction. Six children, 60. How about 10 10 children? I actually know a few people with 10 children. In Texas, they would pay zero property taxes at all. All right. That's probably a wise policy. Probably a wise policy because when you think about it, it is society that needs more children. If you are living in a country and maybe you're raising children in that country and you one day would like your grandchildren to be able to live in that country, you want to make sure there are a lot of other people as well because otherwise the tax burden on your grandchildren will be unsustainable eventually. You want there to be other because that's how society will thrive and flourish. So it makes sense then for society to help couples families raise children, because otherwise what you really are saying is, hey, parents, you've got to bear the whole cost of raising these young people who ultimately will become vital assets to the state. Okay, yeah. So the general rule is that you incentivize with finance the kind of behavior you want in a society. And so um, there used to be a way of giving people a significant tax reduction if they were married. A man and a woman married to one another would pay far less in taxes than if they paid if they were single. And uh, if they had children, anyway, little by little, a lot of the stuff's being eroded in most countries. But, uh, but it, it does make sense in terms of what a society needs to do to make sure But it isn't happening. Meanwhile, the reality is that fertility is dropping in uh, most industrialized countries. So uh, back to the enigma. How can an activity that produces sensual pleasure in the extreme, how can that be holy? How can that be good? How can that be virtuous? Given that Somehow or another, embedded within us is, you know, people sometimes dismiss, oh, that's just puritanical thinking. But it's actually a lot deeper than that, this idea that as good people, we sacrifice short-term gain for uh, short-term gratification or pleasure for long-term benefit. Um, And so now, 
obviously, I mean, it leaves us feeling um, a little bit guilty, and it's one of the reasons there is there is a, a very natural awkwardness about uh, inter- physical intimacy between a man and a woman because uh, there's a part of us that feels, gosh, you know, it's it's too pleasurable. We shouldn't we shouldn't be doing that thing. We we, we were put here on this planet for serious things. Why? What is that all about? So there's a part of us saying, how can this activity possibly be a good, holy, virtuous, wonderful thing since it is a source of pleasure? But then on the other hand, we also say, but wait a second, this is the source of human life. This is the ultimate affirmation of life. And anybody who has engaged in it feels that and recognizes it and knows it and so how can something that brings life into the world be anything but virtuous and good and holy? And so we're left with this um, strange dichotomy, a tension, as it were, between uh, sex and reproduction. On the one end of the spectrum is the idea that sex is only for erotic pleasure and reproduction is an accidental and undesirable outcome. Now, I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but that's really how a large part of Western society thinks, particularly men. And so what you have in parts of society, whether it's in the United Kingdom or the United States and many, many other places as well, it's just that I personally know and understand uh, the United Kingdom and the United States better than I do most other places. Um, and, and that is the, it's what happens. Reproduction ends up being women without men. Yeah, I mean, obviously uh, a man helps for about 30 seconds, but um, female-led households, um, single motherhood, every, growing everywhere in the West because... On the surface of it, men intuitively think that the purpose of sex is erotic pleasure, and to the extent that it could produce reproduction, that's an accident, and it's undesirable, and we can take steps to avoid it. And sure enough, uh, society, the country, the government, goes along with that notion, incredibly short-sighted and incredibly stupid, but, uh, but they do. So, for instance, in January 2023, uh, uh, Joe Biden's Food and Drug Administration lifted restrictions that prevented patients from obtaining medication abortion bills, pills uh, by mail. Just order them, get them, and take them at home. It's, it's pretty extraordinary. So everything is being done by a sick culture to make sure that the tension between sex and reproduction is resolved primarily at the end of the spectrum that says the main purpose of sex is erotic pleasure between a man and a woman and reproduction is to be avoided to whatever extent possible. So not surprisingly... America's fertility rate has been plummeting. 
it's not that long ago we were comfortably above replacement rate at 2.1, and America's now somewhere 1.6, 1.7 and dropping. So, um, I mean, that's pretty amazing, by the way. Um, this particular drug, all right, it's called myfepristone, myfepristone and mysoprostol. Uh, you have to take both of these drugs, and uh, these have been available for about uh, since about 2000, the year 2000, but it was always said, both on the FDA side and on the medication packaging, this has to be administered by a doctor in a clinic setting. Why? Well, because think about it. Um, first of all, you know, at, at a certain point, it becomes unsafe. The danger of a uh, life-threatening hemorrhage is very real. And, um, and so a doctor should be on hand to make sure that the, uh, the, the baby is not beyond a certain level of gestation. I mean, these are sad, sad things, but that's the reality. So now this has been changed. And uh, even... Um, young girls, teenage girls, girls who are not even 18, can get hold of this and use it at home without any supervision. Right? Now, I'll tell you, there's, there's another um, interesting biblical uh, reference which actually shows up many, many, many times, and this one has to do with um, uh, a, a warning not to sacrifice your children to the god of Molech and the god of Baal Peor. And again, you know, what's descriptive rather than prescriptive, um, God is saying, hey, you are going to end up doing this and you must stop it. You mustn't do it. What is it talking about? The fact that as a society deteriorates, what one of the things that happens is that children are seen increasingly as uh, as a burden and as a, as an obstacle to the goals and desires of uh, parents and very often not married parents and um, and so sure enough one of the things that happens is children are somewhat abandoned uh, whether they are latchkey children or whether they're just sent off on the yellow school bus with the, the notion that, you know, let the state take care of my children, um, whether these children are encouraged to go into uh, mu physical mutilation in the name of gender transforming, um, it's one thing after another. Obviously, nobody actually cares about the children. This is all for political and personal gratification, and um, these things happen, even encouraging 19-year-old girls to have sterilization procedures that are permanent. All of these things are sacrificing our children, uh, letting our boys uh, roam the streets, uh, become delinquent, and after that become criminal, and after that ending up in the criminal justice system, very often killed during these criminal activities. And this is, I mean, who has it roughest in the United States right now? It's children, I think. And this is also true in the United Kingdom. And so, yes, we, we are putting our children through 
these extraordinary sacrifices. What sacrificing to the god of Molech and Baal mean is actually very close to exactly what it is that is happening in American society right now. It's prophetic to the extreme. And, um, but I'll, I'll go to something which is, is really lovely, uh, and that is that uh, Mrs. Lappin, a little while ago, did a video program of bread making. Not only regular bread, but special Sabbath bread called challah. And um, i got to tell you, there's something deeply satisfying about baking bread. It's quite different from, you know, making a soup or uh, cooking up a stew. All of that's satisfying for people who enjoy it as well, and it's satisfying to eat. But making your own bread, now that's different. And uh, there is a reason that when um, residential realtors are showing houses, one of the things they try to do is have bread baking in the oven because the smell of freshly baked bread wafting around a house just creates such a good atmosphere. Uh, It's a buying mood that is set up. And uh, it's easier than you'd think. You just got to know how to do it. And so Susan Lappin goes ahead and does a terrific um, depiction. You see exactly the the ingredients, how she mixes them, how long everything takes, what she uses, how she kneads them, how she lets it rise, how she bakes it, how she even shapes it to look like special Shabbat bread. It has braids on it as well. So uh, anyway, all of this is on sale on our website right now. So all you've got to go do is go to rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, you can either search for Chala, C-H-A-L-L-A-H, Chala, C-H-A-L-L-A-H, uh, or just go into the store at rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, look for videos and there under videos, you'll see uh, Susan Lappin bakes challah, and um, uh, you'll you'll love it. It's uh, I think it's on special sale now for like uh, ten dollars, maybe eleven dollars, something like that. It's 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 way down, and uh, it's an easy it's an easy acquisition, and it'll bring you much pleasure. And needless to say, it helps to support this show, make sure that we can keep on producing this podcast every week. So uh, head over there and do yourself a favor and do us a favor and uh, start baking challah. Um, It becomes addictive after a while. First of all, you love having fresh baked bread in the house. Number two, the quality of fresh baked bread is so different from commercially baked bread, you know, unless you have an artisan bakery in your neighborhood. But other than that, bakery that you get through your grocery store, bread you get through the grocery store, um, of necessity has preservatives and chemicals in it, none of which go into challah when you bake it yourself, just the way Mrs. Lappin will show you. So please do that and let me know how you enjoy it. I think you're going to love it. So uh, so there we are. Uh, in order to keep society at the end of the spectrum that says sex is primarily about erotic pleasure and, you know, let's forget the reproduction aspect. And so, not surprisingly, uh, societies that have moved in this direction 
have uh, not surprisingly uh, moved into um, negative population growth with all the problems that that brings as well. But but that's not all. It's kind of interesting. A couple of things I'm going to tell you about, and I, I'll be as uh, discreet as I can, um, but these are just things that you don't ordinarily hear about. And um, we know already from the uh, COVID calamity that any time a narrative did not fit with the one being promoted by the government and the culture, it was suppressed and you never heard it. And so even though now it's becoming clear that the COVID epidemic began at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China, uh, you still you still don't hear that so much, although increasingly we do. And uh, we have to remember that everybody who suggested that at the beginning, I mean, my goodness, we know it started in Wuhan. Wuhan is the home to one of the world's biggest virology institutes that was carrying out experiments on the COVID virus, many of which were funded by Anthony Fauci in the United States. And shocker, if anybody suggested that it was a failure of the god of science and that it was from the virology lab in Wuhan that the whole thing spread by a horrible accident at best, uh, you weren't allowed to say that. And so uh, I'll tell you a couple of things now, <clears throat> which are also not spoken about a whole lot. And I tell them to you like I tell you everything, not because I expect you to take them on face value or just because I say so, but uh, at least to just let you know about the existence of these ideas. And, you know, if you're interested, you will investigate further all by yourself. <clears throat> Suffice it to say that... Um, uh, in ancient Jewish wisdom, the um, condom is not an approved form of birth control. Uh, why is that? Well, for two reasons. One is that there has to be complete skin-to-skin -skin contact for the, the full emotional and romantic bonding to take place. And, uh, and that's a requirement, and it's, it's, it's the way God created us, and um, it, is, uh, it is best done in, in a way that allows complete skin-to-skin -skin contact everywhere, uh, which is prevented by that particular latex product. So what is acceptable or, or what works? Oh, uh, the, the other reason is, is also very interesting, and that is that the, uh, the material, uh, the material carrying the seed, the material carrying the sperm is actually a positive thing for women. And it so happens that in the female reproductive apparatus, um, the capacity to absorb into the body from there uh, is very is very strong, and so uh, in in a certain way, um, male seed or semen is a sort of a wonder drug. Um, it actually decreases a woman's risk of preeclampsia. Um, it uh, 
uh, it suppresses uterine immune response. It reduces uterine inflammation. Uh, it helps with hormone balancing, and it helps to make pregnancies um, last um, to to endure. Um, and and that's not all. There are other things as well. I, I don't want to go into the whole medical or um, or any other aspect of it now. But just to say, you may never have heard of this. It's possible you've never heard that the material uh, that is carried into the female body through the act of intimacy is actually a very big positive for women. It is also a mood enhancer. It, uh, it creates happiness. Interesting. All of that, which is prevented by a, um, the device I initially mentioned. However, there are other devices uh, that allow it, the, uh, the male seed into the body, but not all the way to the womb. That is uh, acceptable. And then, of course, there is chemical uh, prevention as well. Now, what chemical prevention does is essentially um, make it impossible for ovulation to take place. And obviously, if there's no ovulation, then there is no pregnancy. And um, you say, okay, well, that sounds good. The only trouble is that these hormone um, adjustments to the uh, female body, well, let's put it this way, a lot of women end up feeling that they don't like what's happening. And uh, although I believe last year over 90 million prescriptions for birth control pills were issued, um, many, many women are going off it because of the concern of what this is doing to their bodies. Again, these are things everyone decides in conjunction with their own medical advisors. But it's just, it's you know, men tend to think the pill is the sort of magical panacea that all of a sudden authorized us to uh, unrestrained sexuality, and it's it's not so simple. Uh, a lot of women and their doctors are not altogether comfortable with what the birth control bill. Bill, pill does to the human body. There's something else that goes on as well, by the way. Very, very interesting. And the full long-term consequences of this one are not well known yet at all. But um, we know that, uh, that there are certain changes that take place in a woman during this miraculous period of ovulation. Um, and uh, in terms of how they feel and even how they look, and the uh, the attractiveness varies, and these things are fairly well known. But um, what isn't quite so well known is that um, there may be a subtle process of natural selection going on. And what I mean by that is that it used to be that subtly and subconsciously we men were drawn to women. During the ovulation days, we felt the strongest attraction, and we adjusted for that. But today, large numbers of women are never ovulating because they're on the pill for extended periods of time. And so many, many, many more men are now 
not around women who ovulate at all. Interesting changes. Think about it. I might I might give more detailed explanations uh, another time. But this is all part of this incredible tension between sex and reproduction. What's going on? So, um, what is the other end of the spectrum? The other end of the spectrum is that sex is mainly for reproduction. That's the, the main thing, and um, any other aspect of it is, is really questionable. And I don't think there are many people who subs- who subscribe to that view. I mean, I, I, I have met a few who've spoken to me uh, about this and who really do believe that God wants them to just focus on reproduction and to minimize any pleasurable bonding in the uh, entire process. Okay, fine. Um, but those are the two extremes. Sex is all about reproduction. No, sex is all about erotic pleasure. That's all it is. What is the, the reality? The reality is uh, the truth, that it's both. Obviously, it's not only for reproduction, because if that were so, there would be religious prohibitions against uh, having intimate relations with a, uh, a woman who, shall we say, is pregnant. So there can be no reproductive purpose in that act. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. And so it's perfectly clear that this is a, uh, a process that God built into human beings to bring about the kind of marital bonding that uh, he wanted us to have. And um, I would go a bit further as well and say that it also has an educational process because if you think about a, uh, a teenage boy, an adolescent boy, Right, and you know, to him, the notion that there are other people who want certain things, other people with preferences and wishes, gosh, on most adolescent males, utterly indifferent to other people's wishes. It's it's a hugely challenging educational process for parents to be able to get their sons to a point where they are aware and sensitive to other people's needs. It's hard work. Now, it's incredible when you succeed. It's remarkable. It's the most amazing parental satisfaction, but it isn't easy. But you are helped when all of a sudden at a certain age, um, he, uh, he meets a girl or he encounters a girl at at church or at youth group or whatever it is, and he he really likes her. And all of a sudden, he is overcome by a desire to please her, which is extraordinary. Even even young boys have that. Uh, He'll want to get her flowers or get her a gift. This desire on the part of a man to please a woman is hugely important, and it has a lot to do with socializing and civilizing males. Obviously, it uh, requires the woman to behave like a woman and to learn what being feminine means, because that is what enhances this instinct in men. 
And um, his parents all of a sudden, for the first time, encounter <laughs> this this boy, you know, I don't know, 18, 19, 20, whatever he is, uh, who they hear him saying to a girl, well, what would you like to do? And they think to themselves, it's remarkable. In in the last 18 years, they've never ever heard him ask anybody else what they like. And yet this incredible feat of civilizational expertise has been accomplished by this young slip of a girl. And she's managed to get him to be interested in, in her wishes. Um, this is really important because he enjoys doing that. And what's more, that carries forward to the marital relationship where this continuing idea of bringing pleasure to the woman is this amazing experience. Well, if you think about it from God's point of view, what is a better preparation for having a child? What better preparation could there be for the lesson, this vitally important lesson, which is caring for another person more than one cares for oneself is the greatest pleasure. And you're about nine months away from having with you a new little person who for the next 16 years you're going to have to take care of. And it's really good because you had this great lesson, even in the very act of conception, you had this great lesson that says, you know what? Taking care of another person is the greatest thrill of all. It's a wonderful thing. And that really is the secret. Is sex about reproduction or erotic pleasure? The answer is yes, it's both. And even if there's not going to be a pregnancy and there is no reproduction, the educational benefit of it, the idea of a particularly a man becoming civilized through this process is fundamental to the preservation of civilization. And needless to say, the reproductive aspect is also fundamental to the survival of civilization. All of uh, those things go together. And so, yeah, it's not really a dichotomy. Uh, it is holy because it is the source of life, and it is holy because it brings about God's model for male-female bonding called marriage. And yes, it also re it has to do with reproduction. It's, it's, it's what brings a new life into the world and makes it possible for societies to continue. So um, it's, it's tough stuff to think about just because what do you say to a man, right? There, there are many, many, many men in Western society today who believe exclusively that um, physical intimacy is only about erotic pleasure. They, they don't even stay around for the birth of the child. They certainly don't marry the woman. So they really show that their belief system is entirely just about erotic pleasure, and it is left for the women to bring up the children. That's what happens, as best as they possibly can. Well, this is not a simple matter, because what do you say to a man Let's say one of these men comes to you and says, uh, hey, I've heard that uh, you don't agree with me. I am positive 
that sex is only about erotic pleasure. I'm, I couldn't care less about reproduction. As a matter of fact, I just assume that never happens. And I heard you don't agree with me. Could you tell me what's wrong with my thinking? Well, it's difficult, isn't it? What are you going to say to that person? I should wait for a second here for you to think about it. What are you going to say to that person? What are you, are you going to say, well, you know, if we don't have more people, then society's going to wind down. Because if we don't have more people operating and, uh, and working and paying taxes, then nothing's going to be possible. You know, he says, look, leave me alone. I, I really couldn't care less. And in fact, some of them will say, yeah, you're talking about years and years into the future after I'm probably no longer around. Who cares? I'm not interested. What do you say to a person? And if you think about this, you'll see how incredibly difficult it is to come up with any answer as to why taking that approach to sex is wrong and destructive, not just to the future of society, but even to the man himself. And it's difficult because uh, a man who is already at the point where he is absolutely convinced that sex is only about erotic pleasure and has nothing to do with reproduction, it's going to be very difficult to say to him, look, Deep down, you may not even sense it, but think about it, you desire immortality. In a certain way, you would like to live forever. Now, that in its simplest form isn't possible, but you will be astonished how close you can get to it through the miracle of raising children. That's, that's a hard thing to describe to somebody. It's a very, very hard thing to describe. But that's kind of where it's got to go. Uh, it um, goes a little bit further as well in the sense that through the 5F blueprint, your family, your friendships, your faith, your fitness, and your finances, those linkages are real. Family, meaning children, among other things, uh, very much contributing to friendship, very much contributing to finances. And again, these are, for people whose attention span lasts as long as a television commercial, it is very hard. Right? The, the concepts I've been imparting to you on today's show, I couldn't do in a 30-second soundbite. It's not possible. But the trouble is that we have created a society where very large numbers of men particularly have extremely short attention spans. And that automatically makes it impossible for them to understand certain concepts, certain ideas, and certain linkages. And the, uh, the value of having children in your life is one of those things that is not a 30-second discussion or a 30-second explanation. But it is important, and happy warriors who obviously all have much longer attention spans than 30 seconds, happy warriors understand that regardless of what's going on, regardless of whatever challenges you might encounter, everything is better if your five Fs are in good shape. And the F of family isn't just about the sexual act that makes family come into existence, but it is actually about the family it produces as well, the children that then arrive. 
and uh, it's important. This is really a topic for another show, but I will at least mention it now, and that is that the only way that a man can have children is through a, a dedicated wife. Gentlemen, it's a wonderful thing to have children, but the only way you'll have children is if your wife wants you to. Oh, you know, it may be possible that uh, she becomes pregnant and she has children and, and, and they come to you for pocket money and allowance and they call you daddy. But for them to really, really be your children and to give you the deepest sense of immortality satisfaction, that only comes from a wife who wants that to be the case. Worth thinking about. Have a look at uh, making color because another thing that's life-affirming in a different kind of way is b baking bread. <laughs> it really is. Um, you know, it is, uh, after all, symbolic in our culture of, of life and sustenance. So go ahead and uh, get a copy of the download, the video of how to, or if you wanted to come in a, in a package, it can as well. And you will have the recipe and you will have the, you'll be able to watch the process and you'll be able to do everything except smell and taste the result because for the smell and the taste of the result, you're going to have to do it yourself. And uh, that's going to be really easy to do. You go to rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, search for the video making challah and away you go. You'll love it. And away you go on the forthcoming week, which I hope will be a week for you of moving onwards and upwards in your faith, in your family, in your finances, in your fitness, and in your friendships. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.